Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, everybody. We're doing something a little bit different today. What do you think about that, Lee? I am very excited about this. I think this is a great idea. For the first time ever, we are reaching into the FNO InsureTech vault and reissuing an episode. And that episode is one that is particularly newsworthy with the recent IPO of Hippo. Yeah, I mean, there is so much going on right now. Uh, I get on LinkedIn every morning. It's part of my morning routine. And I see Hippo and a soft wand and the whole group uh, everywhere in, in, in my feed. And so we thought, why not release our episode with a soft wand talking about Hippo? You know, they, they just had this major news come out where they're now publicly traded. And our a soft wand episode is one of our best uh, most downloaded episodes of all time. So we thought, since it's in the news, and a lot of people have interest in Hippo now and in their IPO and what's going on with their stock price, that it might be a good time to do a refresh on that episode. So without further ado, here is our original episode with a soft one from May of 2020. Hey, everybody. We are here with our very, very special guest, the fourth member of the Hippo team that we've had on, the CEO and co-founder of Hippo, Asaf Wand. Hey, Asaf, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Robin Lee. And uh, I don't know about special, but uh, we'll try to make it interesting. We're very glad you're on. It's a pleasure to have you. And where do we find you today during this crazy shelter-in-place world that we live in? Specifically now, downtown Palo Alto in uh, one, we have three offices now. We have Palo Alto office, we have a, an Austin office and a Dallas office. This is uh, the Palo Alto office and that's where I'm camped now. Okay, good. We've been to your Austin office where we interviewed Darren McCarthy and that's a really cool place. Is the one in Palo Alto follow the same decor idea? Somewhat. Okay. Probably 2x the price and, and half the coolness. <laughs> well, welcome to California, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're, we're going to jump right in. We have all kinds of stuff that we want to talk about and questions we want to ask you and hear about. But both Lee and I were scratching our heads today saying, where did the name Hippo come from? I mean, of all the insurance company names in the world, that may be the most novel. Yeah. And, and so where, where, what hat did you pull that one out of? We, we wanted to name an insurance company and we started looking at names and everything with the words uh, mutual and state and farm was taken. So uh, <laughs> we had, uh, that was the last option that was available. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually more uh, geeky than that. I wish there was a very good, <laughs> it's very, very difficult to find a name in the world. Everything is associated with another brand. You want to find the URL, you want to find a Twitter handle, yeah. you find a Facebook thing. If you find a name, then you find that there's 15 other companies that are using that name. It's just not an easy thing. Right. So uh, you're left with a very finite kind of numbers of, of names. You, you go through list after list of names of flowers, names of Greek gods, names of whatever. You name it, whatever theme you want, and it's difficult. Now... If I'll go to the more basic kind of thing, the idea was to find a name which is memorable, none associated with insurance. And the ground rule is that the younger the person that can actually grasp the name and remember it, the better. Ah. So Apple doesn't have any association with computers and et cetera, but a two-year-old can, can figure out the name and remember it. So we thought, you know what, Hippo, it's actually, it's good. And, uh, you know, that, that's how we started. When we started... I'll give it a 60-70% chance that we thought we might need to change the name. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. But luckily and somehow it stuck and we were able to get the, the domain and we were able to go with it and now we're in love with it. Uh-huh. I love it. I think it's a very catchy name. You know, in fact, I was telling Rob earlier today that Hippo 
is the name of the first insured tech company that I ever really heard about. And I would say insured tech company on a selling front. And I was telling them that my dad, who is a insurance agent for a long time, had written me many, many years ago about this company. And I still remember it was Hippo. So I went back through our text messages and I searched. And in 2016, he sent me a text message uh, with an article about Hippo, uh, the startup company that is going to disrupt insurance. And uh, it just shows you that your name worked. I remembered it from that time. And Hippo has always been there in my head. It's kind of funny. So uh, there's two, two things that I actually want to say. One, uh, it actually lends itself to all kinds of stuff. So where I'm actually sitting, it's called the, Hippo, the Hippocampus, uh, which, which we love that you can do all kinds of uh, word names, you know, and all kinds of like games with it. Mm-hmm. The second thing which I, I, I want to actually touch that you mentioned, I don't like the word disrupt. I don't think we're disrupting insurance. I'm not coming up that, you know, people that are named Rob are going to get 15% discount and people mm-hmm. that are Lee are going to be it. We are working within the realm of insurance. We are, you know, it's a regulated industry. It needs to be filed and approved and compliance and stuff like that. We just think that we can break this insurance product into hundreds of discrete kind of uh, points and, and better and improve every single one of them for the benefit of the customer at the end. I like that. No, I mean, I would assume in reading this article from 2016, it appeared as though it maybe was started out more of a disruption, but maybe you've changed to maybe better every line of the product that's out there. Is that is that what you're saying? I, I don't know if line of the product. It's, it's every component. So okay. uh, let me break it differently. A, probably if I would have known now what, what, what I did in 2016, I would have never started a company. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Like the, the more you dive into this insurance, you realize the more, uh, you know, there's unlimited depth to this thing. Yeah, lots of layers to it. But we, what you also realize is that uh, the way that we view it is almost everything is broken from sales to claims. And what I mean is improving, you can improve the sales, you can improve the experience, you can put the touch point, the call center experience, the claim experience, the, you know how you handle claim, who you send as an inspector. You name a topic, I can go very deep into it. The data sources we're using, the policy management system, the claim system, the, you know, it does... Put a name, put a, put a topic, and we can drill for forever. Mm. And I think unlimited areas that you can actually improve. Let's talk about what HIPPO is. Give us a minute on what is HIPPO. So I'll, I'll start from the end of where we're at now, and then I'm actually going to go back to the beginning for the 2016, uh, basically, uh, email that, you know, that Lee just pointed. So what we're viewing now is that Hippo is a proactive home insurance company. Our wish and our belief is that uh, the best loss experience is a loss that we're going to prevent to begin with. And if we can help you prevent this loss from happening in the first place, then we brought value to everybody, to us as an insurance company because there's less losses, but mostly for you as a customer. So that's roughly where our, our basically our true north now, to be a proactive insurance company. Now, we do understand that you know, there's, there's losses that happens and I can't prevent uh, every loss that's happening. I have failed to find an IoT device that actually stops a hurricane. So we also want to have the best customer experience if God forbid a loss is happening. The way that I actually look at it and I explain to the company, when I have the discussion with the company, is that, you know, we're there for you when shit happens. And then <laughs> when shit happens, that's, uh, that's our money time. And we need to take care of people and we need to handle them and we need to give them the most empathetic and, and the most support we can. Because when losses happening on home insurance, they're usually severe. A fire happened in your house, a significant water uh, damage in your basement, a breaking an entry. These are things that really, really uh, shake you up. And I want to triage it. I want to take care of you. I want to negate this thing from happening and help you in that uh, time of need. So this is what basically Hippo now, a proactive insurance company. When we started, the hypothesis of, of when we started the company was just to be a direct home insurance company. Basically, to be the Geico or progressive of home insurance, to enable you to purchase uh, however you want, uh, by yourself, on the phone, on the computer, with without talking to an agent, basically be a direct homeowner insurance company. That 
thing evolved into modernizing homeowner insurance because we realized that the coverages that or what you're covered for is an insurance company, what insurance company actually covers you is stuff that is relatively obsolete. If you open your uh, insurance policy, you'll see that you're covered for fur coats, computer bills, in China, in silverware. Ridiculous stuff. Mausoleums and crypts are covered. Gold bullion, stamp collection, all of this is covered, but your home office is not covered. Electronics capped at $2,000. Uh, and a lot of other stuff that you have are, are also not covered. So we thought that's a ridiculous thing to sell you stuff that you don't own. Uh, then you realize there's a, an exuberant amount of fees, initiation fee, fee, policy fee, inspection fee, cancellation fees, mm-hmm. a bunch of that is latched on top of your policy, which doesn't make any sense. So we started by remodernizing all of that component. That required us to file. And as you know, in insurance, it's 50 states, so it's 50 regulators. So we filed, we're live now in 24 states. So we had to file state by state. If we're already filing, we apply the latest and greatest in actuarial model. So we have the most sophisticated bipedal model that we actually could find, and we keep on fine-tuning it, which because we believe that the future of insurance is not big numbers, which is the case today, which basically means that the good risk is actually subsidizing the bad risk. But right. it's going to have a and a move to big data, which means that I can actually price risk more correctly. So Lee is going to get the right price for his risk, which is different than what Rob is going to get for his risk. But you advertise save up to 25%, correct? Yes. So how do you do both those things? How do you save money and price properly? It's two different components. One, by removing some of the coverages that you had in your policy, by removing computer balls and, and mausoleums and crypts, I reduce the cost of the, the policy. The second component is that by basically removing a lot of the fees, we can also reduce the, the price. So overall, the, the price of the policy is cheaper. And then it's not it's insurance, so it's not cheaper to everybody across the board. It's cheaper for specific people that basically are now subsidizing other, other people. So I want to target specific people that we view as the right risk for us. And for them, we're probably cheaper than anybody else. I want to come back to Hippo and how you guys do work. But I want to take a couple steps back first and talk about the fact that you're a native Israeli. Is that correct? That is correct. What uh, gave me away? (laughs) (laughs) It was the fact that the name Wand is very common in Israel, right? This in my British accent. It's the uh, British accent. Yes, truth be told. But seriously, you are, I believe, the fourth Israeli that we've had on our show. We're at about 75 episodes now. And we've been thinking, is that a theme? What is it about being an Israeli? Is there something about being an Israeli that leads you into entrepreneurship? Obviously, you're an entrepreneur. You've been involved in several startups previously, and you came into this one from what we understand kind of out of left field. You'd never been in insurance before. So you come out of left field. Hippo seemingly is a big hit today. Is there a connection with coming from Israel that leads people into being entrepreneurs? Israel and entrepreneurship, I'll start with a macro kind of thing. You know, Israel in many ways is probably, uh, it's called startup nation. The amount of uh, startups per uh, you know, GDP, per population, per whatever kind of metric you want is obscene. I think it's the company with the third number of uh, NASDAQ listed company. Companies for a long time, it was the second. And then uh, China started taking companies public. It's a country of eight and a half million people. And... Somehow, because it's it, it's such a it's a place that brings people from all over the world, it's a hodgepodge of a lot of uh, basically cultures together. Now we're also uh, a country that is we're a, we're a good neighborhood in a in not the best uh, city. So the area around us is is not an easy area. Sadly, the state of Israel has been in a state of war with a lot of the neighbors for a long time, which forced us to develop a very very strong military, and the way that the military is actually uh, basically staying strong is on technological benefit, because we are significantly smaller than all of our neighbors. And that entails that every every person at the age of 18 is going to the military, even women, for several years. You have to be uh, frugal and smart and creative, and it basically throws you into a mix 
of being innovative and entrepreneurial. That's just the military experience in Israel. Then there is a, a complete other component, which is education is very, very, uh, education is strong and is very highly valued in Israel. So the, the facilities, the universities are very good. People, uh, it's a small market. So you have to develop something in Israel and start selling it abroad immediately because it's such a small market. So every Israeli company is usually setting up the R&D in Israel and then starting selling it abroad in Europe or in the US. It's very difficult to uh, become wealthy in Israel if it's not via entrepreneurship. So you don't have the route of someone going up the ranks of, uh, of a company or being a very wealthy lawyer or a very wealthy consultant or an investment banker. All of these things are almost non-existent. Uh, the last component is that I think there's a certain narrative to different cultures and different areas. In Israel, the narrative, you know, it was a, a, a Jewish kid who was going to be a doctor or a lawyer had shifted significantly to the garage startup that four guys started a company in the garage and became millionaires. And that captured a lot of the ethos. So that's in short kind of like what, why I think you know, we can have a five-hour discussion about different nuances, but it's, it's a very common thing. Israelis love risk. Risk is not shown upon. So if you fail several times, that's completely legit. It just is. And the more uh, people you have that are entrepreneurs, the more it, it actually harnesses more people and more people that work in a startup environment. Some of them wants to be entrepreneurs. There's enough uh, of, a, of a VC community to fund it. There's a full ecosystem that actually works to support that part of uh, Israel as well. So that's the first part of Israel and their entrepreneurship. The second thing which I find interesting is some of the favorite insurance entrepreneurs that I know are all are Israelis, not just that there are Israeli you know, entrepreneurs in insurance. So Guy was the founder of Next Insurance and Daniel and, and, and Shai in Lemonade. And then quite a few others think are also, you know, in this insurance space, entrepreneurs that I greatly appreciate and I think built a really, really interesting companies. So you were saying that education is very important in Israel. Are there a lot of colleges there or do you typically go outside of Israel to go to college? No, no, it's, it's, it's in Israel. Most of the places are public universities. The level of education is, is high. It's also a different experience in all because you don't go at the age of 18 to university. Usually I went to university when I was 23. I served for five years in the military. So by then, parents don't help you. You're independent. My mom told me, listen, you're fine. You want to live in Tel Aviv, then live in Tel Aviv. But work and wait, uh, you know, work in a restaurant and pay for your, your everything, your tuition and your living expense. I don't care about that. Yeah. What do you want for me? So that will, it kind of forces you to, to be more independent and, and start doing stuff. So whenever you went at age 23, you got a law degree. That is correct. I have a law degree. I never served a day in my life as a lawyer. Is that something that's helped you along the way? or? Uh, you know, in hindsight, I can always find on everything that I learned uh, that probably helped me. I, I, I like, the, I like the, law, the law studies. I think it's a very clever, it's a very analytical, it's very interesting. But then what you realize is that half of the stuff that you learn is about Supreme Court ruling, which are very clever and very nuanced and very specific. But 99% of your day work is, is actually doing very basic menial transactions and, and basically, you know, contract laws. So it was a fit for me. But do I like it? Yes, I liked it. Was it beneficial? Probably. You know, it was a, it was a good route and something that uh, I was curious about. Those are great answers. Thank you. Let's move back to talking about insurance and hippo. One of the things that popped out to me was why insurance? How do you get from the last company that you had, which was more of a, a consumer product company, all the way to insurance? That's not a direct line necessarily between the two. How, how did you pick insurance? So, so several things. Uh, firstly, like every, every young boy, I always wanted to be in insurance. <laughs> yeah, right. My dad was in insurance. So you can say I was born into insurance. My dad had a big agency and then worked in an insurance company. I, I remember as a, as a young boy, basically riding the car with him at the, at the new year and give uh, calendars and ridiculous gifts like that. And that was the, the marketing material. And we would drive from one customer to the other. 
and he would talk and I would like sit in the car and thought it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. So uh, everything that your parents do is, is by structure, broken, doesn't make any sense in you. I don't want to do something better or stay very, very far from it. Uh, weirdly, I chose the, 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 you know, the first one, the former. Uh, and, and, you know, and it kind of, I had an ongoing interest in insurance. But the real, insu- the, the real interest pick happened when I was working uh, after business school. I was working with McKinsey and Company in New York and did quite a few projects with insurance companies and thought that almost everything is broken and the amount of opportunity is vast. And this is an area that is very basically ripe for innovation and digitization and new tools. And the entire industry was focused on, you know, had crazy legacy systems, was focused on maintaining the current book, couldn't implement enough uh, innovation. I just thought it's very, very ripe for innovation. Now, when I was doing consulting, it was 2005 to 2007. And when I started the company, uh, the first company that I really started in 2007, one of the areas I looked at was insurance. And I thought that while I want to do something in insurance, it, it wasn't the right timing. And it wasn't the right timing because of three reasons. One, you couldn't really build the back end. If you wanted to build a new insurance company backend, right. you had to go to companies like Sidewire, right. you had to go to Accenture to develop it, you had to go to, I don't know, Oracle Database 9. It was a three to five year project. They would have asked you, uh, Rob, what do you think? How many customers do you think you're going to have at year 10? You had to commit upfront to having 500,000 customers, which I have no idea. It just wasn't lending itself to that. So you can't like, you know, raise hundreds of millions of dollars, set it up, build it for three to five years. It's not a very startup-y kind of thing. Second thing was uh, lack of data. Every time that you investigated that, the main question that happened is, that how can you compete with you, you know, filling the gap on this company that has been in business for 100, 150 years, have 10 million customers, and this is what they're doing. How can you compete with them? You have no idea. You have no data. You have no information. And so, yeah, I guess you're right. And the third one, I wasn't sure there's going to be sufficient customer appetite to actually trust a new insurance brand. These brands, uh, it takes a long time to build them. Yes. And I thought that the risk profile was not sufficient to basically be VC funded. And I didn't want to start, you know, an agency and go maybe into an MGA program and build it over 10 to 15 years. There was a certain route of doing it, but it's just too long for my appetite and basically mm-hmm. my lack. I'm used to a way more fast-moving environment. And then uh, after I sold my previous company, my last company in 2015, early 2015, I and I was uh, I thought, you know, I'm actually ready to start another company, and I have the strength and the and the energy to do that. I resurfaced and looked at all of these three assumptions, and I thought, you know what, I can build the backend now. I can go and build everything on AWS. I can go and do payments with Stripe or any other vendor. I can go and do chats with these guys and can do payments with these guys, et cetera. You know, if anything, I can build a scalable model, which is cloud focused, mm-hmm. which enables me to scale as much as I want. And you know what? It's probably better than any other backend that is out there. It's a mm-hmm. lot more agile. It can utilize new sources of, of, of everything. Uh, so I thought, okay, let's, let's tick mark that stuff. Data, we're in an age of an explosion of data. As opposed to a company that has 10 million homes that they can actually look for the data and build their book, I have access to 130 million homes. And I have a lot more data than they have because now you can look at MLSs and every transaction records and tax records and, and county records and the amount and the, you know, and aerial imagery. We're in an age of an abundance of data. If anything, being new gives you a massive advantage over being uh, an incumbent. And I thought, okay, tick mark, that's another interesting thing. And the third one, which was customer appetite, my realization was that in today's world, you're doing a lot of the other financial activity, you know, on, on, you know, on the web. You're taking student loans from SoFi, you're managing money with Wealthborn, right. you're trading with E-Trade and Chubb, you're, you're buying ETFs from uh, these guys. Insurance... Just one more thing. It's easy to trust a digital experience now. 
better, easier. Trust is always, and I'm happy to, to you know, we, we should talk about it because trust is a big component of insurance and one of the biggest hurdles that we're focused on. But I thought, you know what, there is a place to start a new, basically digital or direct to, to consumer insurance company. Let's, let's uh, also understand that. Home insurance is a $100 million market, grows at around 5% a year. My aim is, is not, listen, I'm going to crush all state and state funds. That's just not my aim. I don't think I'm going to be the next gorilla with $30 billion in, in, you know, in premiums. But I do think there is a very valid uh, route to be a $5 billion uh, in premiums in the next several years. I think there is a very clear path for it. There's a bunch of customers who, who, who wants a differentiated experience. Uh, you know, it's a, some, of, some of the new customers that are coming in and buying new homes wants a very different experience. And, uh, and our focus is to cater to them. Right. And if we look at what Hippo has developed into today, you're really occupying a space in the marketplace that was unoccupied previously. This kind of proactive approach to insurance. It wasn't like any other companies had really seized it effectively. Uh, That's how we look at it. So the way that we came to this proactive approach was I basically analyzed the the insurance experience. And I said, okay, think about your experience now that you have. You bought an insurance policy when when you bought your home. That was usually a shitty experience. You mm-hmm. spend five minutes on the phone with an agent. It took you two, three to four days sometimes to get a hold of them. They ask you an average 65 questions. Most of them you don't know how to answer. How far are you off from a fire hydrant? When was the last time you went <laughs> to the place? Yep. You have no idea how to answer and it, you know, it frazzles you. You, know, you don't have a really deep discussion on the different risk. If you have a tree in the backyard, should you have a service line or should you don't even have these discussions. Uh, and then after nine years, you have usually a crappy experience on the claim side. So fine, we, we put a lot of focus on basically putting the best customer experience up front, easing the customers into it, answering as many questions as we can, building confidence with them and giving them the best price. Awesome. And then we spend disproportionate amount of our time to have the best claim experience in the industry. And you talk to Darren about that. We have a claim concierge right. available 24-7. Our entire purpose is basically how do I get shit off your plate and take care of you? How do I mitigate that? And how do I take care of my customers? But what I'm obsessed with is this nine-year time frame that Lee is now a hippo customer which the industry doesn't even call you a customer, they call you a policyholder. So you need to say thank you for that. Correct. And, 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 and there's no touch point. Like there comes the renewal, everybody, you know, crossing yeah. their fingers and hoping that there's going to be a renewal. But, but another year passed and then you're asking yourself, why the hell did I pay these guys? Uh, it, it's always a waste of money. Like it hap- when something happens, you appreciate it, but it's always like a waste of money. It's another, I shouldn't have paid that and stuff like that. You don't know what the price. And we thought, that's not a really good experience. So we started with like, let's bring you value throughout that time. We still quantify it that you want to get, I, I, I'm, I'm meticulous about every touch point that you get from us should be value added to the customer. I, you don't want to get from that. us. I'm your company. Why the hell do you want to get emails from me? If I'm sending you an email, it needs mm-hmm. to add value to you. So we started thinking, okay, let's give you all kinds of other services. Let's send someone to, I don't know, rake lead. That's an interesting thing. That brings value. But that doesn't bring anything to the, the, the company. We started analyzing it. And then for us, proactive insurance basically broke into, it came from that. And proactive is, one, let's do underwriting as an ongoing product. Let's not just use the big data that we have to have a simple, easy onboarding for you. Let's look at this data on an ongoing basis. If I have aerial imagery and I see the condition of the roof, why should I use it once? Why shouldn't I keep one every time I have another aerial pool? Check Rob's and Lee's homes. And basically said, you know what? I actually see a discoloration on the roof. I think we should send a roofer way before a claim happens and occurs. If I can prevent that, it's very beneficial for you. And of course, it's beneficial for us. So we fully align that. So we're doing ongoing underwriting. Just so you get a sense, one of the biggest problems in insurance now is that 67% of the U.S. population is underinsured in three to five years. And the reason is that in that passing of time, Beside the fact that labor and material went up, 
you added the deck, you changed the kitchen, turned the garage into a living room, bought new sofas and things of that sort. 14% of our customers had a significant thing done in their house and not a single one called us to say that, you know what, by the way, Asaf, mm-hmm. I you know, added the swimming pool. So our area elementary see that and contact you and said, Rob, as you know, from time to time, we monitor your home. Our data sources uh, show that you have a swimming pool. I wanted to confirm it. And then 99% of the time, someone said, yes, oh, good for you to call us. And then the next discussion is like, I actually think you should increase your liability insurance. It's a lot more dangerous now. And should you increase your liability from $100,000 to a $1 million? Because maybe the neighbor's kid is going to enter. And I think yeah. it's it yeah. seventy. And everybody says, yes, thank you so much. It's, it's not a negative thing. It's about because this entire contract between an insurance company and an insured got broken throughout the time. The entire purpose of, of the company is to basically take care of you when shit happens and, if, and to be the safety net for you. And if the safety net started to be smaller and smaller and have gaping holes in it, we haven't done our, our role and our purpose. So my job at Hippo is to make sure that the safety net is always tight, always uh, stretched, and have as little holes as possible so we can capture you. You have this amazing product. You have this amazing service. Um, I was just sitting here thinking, you, y'all don't use, you don't use agents at all, right? Uh, no, we do. Yeah, That's you do. All. Yeah, 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 we do. And a big portion. So one of the key realizations that I had is that, wow, a lot of people still want to use an agent. Right, yeah. And, and agents are our friends. A significant portion of our distribution is via independent agents and sometimes other insurance companies that are also offering us. Just like, by the way, we're offering other insurance companies where we have gaps in coverage, where, where we're not competitive, where we have states that we don't sell. Uh, so we do offer and we have a full platform for independent agents as well. You know, with that, you offer all these amazing services online. Are are people taking advantage of them? I mean, they sound wonderful in theory. I think I would take advantage uh, of everything. I'm just wondering, are people taking advantage? So uh, north of 70% of our customers are actually activating their smart home kits. So Epo is sending smart home kits to every customer that uh, opts in. There's, There's always a portion of people that never wants to have that. But north of 70% of our customers are having, you know, are opting in and are using our smart home kits. I get several emails a week from people that are just, you know, sending me a random email. Oh, thank you so much for this thing. It actually stopped the water leak in my basement under the sink or we were away and it, it, it you know, and, it, and we got an alert. Uh, so, you know, it, it has benefits. Nobody wants to check if uh, you locked your garage or your, your front door, but that tells you. So it saves you the hassle of that. So we have a very high acceptance rate of that. And we keep on fine-tuning and adding more and more uh, partnership. The latest partnership we signed is with a company called Simply Safe. Right. And now we bring the basic uh, self-monitor home as well as the more professional uh, monitored home. So we have a bunch of people that are actually opting out to get a professional monitor home. And that's a significant benefit, and they get best of breed prices from Simply Safe on that. So that's been used. We acquired a company called Shelter, which is now uh, called Hippo Home Care. And initially, before this uh, COVID nineteen uh, case, we used to send it to our customers, and you know we were starting, we were doing thousands of these. Uh, the idea was to do a home checkup of your home. Someone comes to your home, clean gutters, check air filters. Make sure that the washer and dryer are operating, checking that the plumbing is okay, that the electricity is okay, that you don't have any random leaks and things of that sort. Give you a full report on the home and help you take care of some of these uh, potential uh, losses. And we were doing that. We shifted them now to be uh, the first telemaintenance. I saw that. And it's actually open to the to the you know to everybody. Everybody go can go to Hippo Home Care and actually contact our our, our people free of charge. And they, you know, do a video with them. They're going to help you sort out and solve uh, all of the DIY and other challenges that you have in your home. So a lot of, a lot of people are using it now. I, I dare say that you're the only insurer that I've seen who's kind of jumped in to tying, you know, the current COVID reality and situation into your products. I was on your website um, and saw your COVID page 
which I thought was really actually very value added. And I was really impressed by that. Whoever on your team is putting that together is doing a terrific job. And I thought it was a terrific idea to have a lot of really good information in one place. We're at home. It makes sense. So, so this was, uh, you know, a lot of people in, in Hippo, uh, you know, Abhinav, Andrea, and Daniel w- was working on it. The reason that we actually did that was twofold. One, at the beginning of this, uh, you know, COVID outbreak, there was so many random data and, and stories out there that nobody had any sense of what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And we said, let's aggregate it all to uh, basically the most objective and knowledgeable data out there. So people will have a source for that. The second thing is we decided to have a different website. So the focus is not what's the reason that COVID happens and what's going on, but rather that we realize that people would need to stay at home. This is before there was a shelter in place and all of these. And all of the questions that we got on our call center is like, you know, how do I wash stuff? How do I clean up? <laughs> Should I take, uh, I don't know, Amazon? Is it not? Should I leave it outside? What if one of the members of the family is sick? How do the rest of the people? Should I wash the clothes every day? What do I do? Dogs pass it. Not like It's all of the stuff that people like, all of the questions that started to pop that wasn't the narrative of what out there. And we said, let's aggregate it all and help our customers answer these questions. So that's why we, we set it up as, uh, you know, we, we call it a website, Corona Home Care. And mm-hmm. it's uh, a website that we still maintain. So as people are working at home more, I think I saw somewhere two-thirds of Americans are sheltered in place working at home now. Are, are there additional risks that, that they have that they may not be covered for? You know, I know, uh, like you had said earlier, working from home, making sure your home office is there. What if they're now using their home as an office? Is there anything that people need to look at for, for coverage? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Firstly, yes. But, but, you know, they should recheck all of their coverage, make sure that they're covered for the stuff that, you should, that they should be covered. For most people, you know, I, I know for Hippo, for Hippo, we have no problem if you're working from home. So your home office is actually covered as opposed to a lot of other people that don't cover that. Right. Really the exclusion is for people that are actually ha- running a business in their home. That's not the case right now. So it's not that you are, you know, accepting 25 people in your, in your home or having a daycare now. It's about you basically working from your home. So Hippo covers that. So it's not an issue with us. What we do see, which is interesting, is that, uh, there's different risks that are popping up now. So for instance, what we see is that there is an increase in wear and tear. And mm. all I would say sure. frequent of, of specific risk and perils are actually popping up now. So uh, equipment breakdown slightly increased because none of our watchers are based on, on the ability to do four uh, washing machines a day and 15 showers and uh, cooking like crazy and all of that. Yeah. However, usually the severity goes down. So uh, you catch all kinds of losses from happening earlier. If there's a leak, you catch it because you're home. And all stuff like that, there's, less, there's you know, a lot less breaking and entry. There's all of that kind of stuff that actually decreases. All in all, I would say it's about flat when you look at losses. Uh, so home insurance hasn't been impacted. I think people should reread their insurance, make sure that they're covered for the stuff that should be covered probably does this, a refocus on electronics being covered, on home office, on several other things in their home that they should focus on it. They should make sure that they have equipment breakdown because it's really, really important. Maybe water backup, all kind of other endorsement that I think this is the time that people should make sure that they are actually covered for these things. I want to circle back around to user experience. There are those out there. <laughs> this is actually uh, another Israeli who we had on, uh, Shefi Ben-Huda from Coverager. Yeah. And I'm going to quote her. She says, there's no such thing as customer experience in insurance. And there never will be customer experience in insurance. She says, I wouldn't solve for customer experience. I'd solve for price. What do you say to that? I, uh, you know, overall, uh, you know, I agree and I disagree. I think price is important. You usually start with price. That's how you grasp specific people. However, you grasp very specific people that are very price conscientious. And it's not necessarily the customer that you are trying to maximize for. Uh, if you want lay, later to reduce trend, to have a differentiation, uh, then price is just not sufficient. Because for me, one of the challenges that I have, if I'll ask you, what's the difference between Allstate and State Farm and Travelers and Farmers? They're all the same. Yes. 
is having ten ten ten, and the other one is having team team team, and this one having this uh, quarterback, and this one is the other quarterback. Which I'm willing to bet everything. You don't even remember which quarterback is for whom. It's not differentiated. Hence, why why you, would you recommend someone over the other? Why would you build a brand? Why you would differentiate? Just doing something on price, I don't think is sufficient and lasting, and 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 interesting enough. At least not for me. I do think refocusing back on the customer that's something that excites me that's how you get uh ai and psco that's how you get word of mouth that's how you get uh the right customers that you want i think that's really really important price is still important uh we're not going to go too much in depth but it's it's a completely different strategy of building a company that is based just on price than a company that's based on customer experience every decision that you make is basically different Amazon is built very, very different than uh, than other companies because it's it's a cycle and they're always thinking how can they reduce cost to the customer, which would bring more customers, which would give them more leverage and more volume and you can reduce the price. Same goes for Walmart, but you need to build a company that that's their entire flywheel. If you're trying to bring more customer value, then it's a very differentiated uh, experience. Then you need to be very meticulous and thoughtful on where and what do you actually put the effort on the customer experience? Was Amazon one of the companies that inspired you? What uh, what other companies inspired you when you were considering creating Hippo? Amazon is the, the most amazing company in the world today, uh, and I think Jeff Bezos is is you know is the best entrepreneur there is. So I always look at that. It. It's not we haven't built Hippo to be Amazon. It's a very different experience, but we do look at Amazon. As many kind of, we don't charge credit card fees because we think that, you know, Amazon doesn't charge you credit card fees. And then, you know, and, and you as a customer should be agnostic on how you pay or, but, you know, and, and things of that sort, we, you know, the immediacy, the ease of doing business. I think Amazon is amazing. The focus on the customer is amazing in Amazon, but it's not in any other place. So this is, you know, Amazon is a good lesson for uh, some of the stuff and it's less for other things. I think in insurance, Chubb is doing a really nice experience for customer. Sure. You know, using Chubb are usually uh, loving Chubb and they were very loyal. So mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting one. Pure had a really interesting, good experience. So my wish is how can I bring something which is more aligned with this kind of experience, more to the masses of insurance. Right. You're not, you're not after a specific market segment like a Chubb, say, or a Pure. No, if anything. We're, we're after the 95% of the market, not the top 5% right. of the market. Right. Do you, do you consider yourself an insurtech, an insurance company? I mean, this is a question that we like to ask because as people who work in the insurance industry for a long time, like ourselves, it's a peculiar kind of thing that these new entrants have come in. Are you an insurance company? What, what are you guys? I'll define it how we define it to ourselves. So we think that the good companies in that space, in the insurtech space, are insurtechs. And they are 50% insurance and 50% technology. And both of these sides are really, really important. If just the technology is going to go and take a lead, but the insurance part is going to lag, it's not going to be a sustainable business. And if just the insurance is going to lead and there's not going to be technology, then we're not going to leverage and we're not going to grow. And it's not, we haven't done anything different. Keeping that balance is is a significant part of my job. On which technology we use, what and how much, uh, you know, we'll focus on, on basically insurance. And I think one of the things that works very, very well in, in Hippo is to have the right balance and the right people to actually enable us to do that. Before we go, because we're a claims company, I want to ask you just a couple questions about claims. Tell us what your philosophy is there and how you saw it as maybe an opportunity that other carriers hadn't taken advantage of previously? Wow. Uh, so I think claims is the money time of an insurance company. It's easy to get customer and, and get them to pay. The money time for the company is when you take care of your customer when shit happens, as mm-hmm. I said before. And that's why my focus is very much on claims. The best analogy that I found was that I wanted people to basically have a good view and, and to be very well communicated throughout the process. I'll give you an example uh, that I always use. Let's say that you flew for, you know, you took a United flight, you flew from whatever, from Paris to uh, New York, and then they lost your luggage, which sadly happens. 
Now starts the experience. What the experience is, you basically go, you're standing in line, you have no idea that this, this thing happened. After two hours that you're uh, working around the, the, the carousel, you realize there's a problem with your uh, luggage. You go, you stand in a stupid line, you're feeling a random kind of board that you don't know if anybody even accepted it or took it. And then you go home. You're still annoyed. Now you're calling them every two hours. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? The amount of interaction you have is crazy. Uh, and then the, the, someone said, oh, we found your luggage. Okay, where is it? They're giving an answer, but they don't know when it's coming, what's going on. And you still keep on calling them every three hours, every four hours. Now, throughout this time, you're basically really, really worried. You have no idea what's the outcome, whether you're going to get your luggage, when, etc. Now, flip it around completely. What if the second that they realize that they lost the luggage because it hasn't arrived and it hasn't been scanned, to, so they know it, they're sending you something and says, Rob, we're really, really sorry. We lost your luggage. Here's $50 to buy something. We'll let you know the second that we found it. We're probably going to, in the next six hours, we're going to go and find your luggage. Then they actually know that in three hours they're going to find it, but they give a spell. After three hours, they're sending you an email and said, good news. Uh, and they send you a nice picture of your, uh, your luggage, I don't know, cruising in Venice. And they send you <laughs> it in Venice. What's going to happen in the next two hours, we're going to put it on the next flight and then they're sending you, the, you know, your luggage is on route now on this flight. You can track the flight. It landed. Uh, and then it says, okay, in the next 10 hours, we're going to send it via FedEx. We just want to confirm your address. You're saying yes. It was the same experience. Nothing changed. Mm-hmm. You stopped calling mm-hmm. them. You know what's going on. You have a full clarity. And, and you know what? Bizarrely, it was actually a good experience. Shit happened. Right. You can acknowledge that. But you know what? They took care of it. You know what's going on. It, it, it's com- it was nothing is done differently on the back end. They probably they, they did the same process to locate the luggage. They did the same process putting it on the plane, sending the FedEx. Everything yeah. is the same. If anything, you you're a lot more relaxed. They made it into a win. So I think the first thing is to keep you abreast of what is the process. Second thing is to mitigate and basically do a triage. So when initially we we, we started planning our claims, it was the age of bots. And we actually built a bot for that. And we thought, oh, this is going to be awesome. Rob is going to have a claim and we're going to send you a bot and you're going to converse with the bot. And that's going to be easy and simple and, and seamless. But then when we started actually looking at the scenarios, we realized none of the scenario actually fits a bot. And the scenarios was like my wife coming home with two kids on their lap at 9.30 p.m. And there was a, a breaking and entry in the house. And the, you know, the window is broken. Does she want to start talking to a bot now? It's the worst experience that you want. Or you're coming home and there's water, you know, surging in yeah. the basement. The last thing I want to talk to a bot, I want someone, the, the entire experience is actually different. I want someone to take the crap out of my hand and basically mitigate that. That's what I want. I love what you're saying. So, so our, our open search, which are available 24-7, you're going to call them and they're going to say, are you safe? Are you okay? Tell me what happened. And you're going to say, listen, I came back with the and the kids happened in my lap. And, and she's going to ask you, okay, let me do this. I already booked you in an hotel near your house. Put the kids to sleep. I'll call you in an hour and we're going to discuss. And then you're calling after the kids are asleep. And then you say, okay, did you call the police? Do you want me to call the police? Is there anybody else you want me to call? Did they break anything? Let me call a cleaning crew for tomorrow morning. Let me, I want someone who whew, relax the situation, takes care of everything. And then we can handle it after this tree has happened. If there's a water surge in the, in the basement, the, fr- the only thing that matters now is to send a plumber to shut it off. That's what they have. So we're going to put shelter on a call and try and help you figure it out by yourself. And at the same time, also call a plumber to come and fix it. If God forbid, we couldn't sort it ourselves. Let's first set it up. And then we're going to say, okay, fine. Let's understand what's the situation. Let's give a prognosis. Let's, it, it's about that. I want to actually take care of our customers, explain to them the process, and take care of it. People don't want to, you know, I'm not afraid of fraud and all of that stuff. People are decent people who just want to live in their house. And the entire, play, the entire idea is how can I mitigate that as soon as possible and make them whole again. And this is how our entire experience is set up. Now, another thing that we realized is that on average in insurance companies, you're transferred seven times between different people. 
because you call the FNOL and it was the night shift. And then you call again in the morning. Right. And then it said, oh, it's more than $25,000. Right. So let me shift you to claim specialist two. Oh, there was also a bit of a damage in there. That, that This is another specialist. And all of a sudden you touched everybody. And this one was in a break. And this one was not. You touch seven people every time you come. Let me tell you again, the story, 30 minutes. You're just agitated. You're nervous. You don't know when you're going to get it, etc. So we basically put one person. All of them are what used to be the claim supervisors. And they are in charge of taking care of your claim from start to finish. And they need to be proactive. So they're going to tell you, Rob, this is what happened in the next 24 hours. This is, I'm going to send you materials. I'm going to go and review that you actually understand all of the documents. Let me know if it's something not clear. Do you want to jump on another call? What's going to happen now? I'm going to send an assessor. I'm going to send, I want someone who's proactively managing you. Our closing ratio of, uh, you know, it used to be 27 days. Now it's less than 10 days. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, we have an NPS score in Darren's team of the claim of, I think, 68 now. And this is including yeah, people- Which is outstanding. Deny the claim. But we do it in a very honest, very matter-of-factly thing. We're, we're there as a resource for you. We're trying to help you. If it's not, we'll, we'll explain to you why not, what is covered, what's not covered. And we think that this is the money time for the company, hence why that area of the company is a massive focus for us. I love it. I mean, it sounds like you're thinking all of the right things. I mean, that's what everybody wants is to be in the loop and be uh, spoken to. And we want to know it before we even know that we need to know it and helped. I, I do have one question for you, one of my last questions. And that is, uh, you had said earlier that, and I summarized, the best claim is the one that was prevented, right? So being able to help with maintenance and things like that beforehand. Do, do you feel as though implementing uh, HIPAA home care and these IoT devices to help you find water leaks have and, and all of the data you use during your underwriting, is, is HIPPO seeing a lower uh, amount of claims filed compared to other companies? It's transitional. Okay. So insurance takes a while. You need enough people uh, to, to basically, uh, you need to write for enough people over enough period of time to realize what risk you actually need to mitigate, what's the price, where you have gaps in underwriting, and where uh, benefits are, are starting to occur. We need, enough, we need more time to have a more significant benefit and know-how on this loss ratio. We're starting to see, uh, you know, kind of snippets that it has benefits. It's not uh, statistically significant yet. We probably need a couple of more years of enough customers to start seeing that uh, significance. We do see benefits for that. There's also other benefits, by the way. There's more customer loyalty. There's more word of mouth. There's other benefits as well not just uh, risk mitigation, but we're starting to see uh, more material benefits of this preferred loss ratio. It's just going to take more time for me to stand in here and say, listen, we got a 7% benefit on that and stuff. I'm not there yet. And I don't like to give answers where I don't have a very high level of certainty. You're in how many states now, Asaf? 24. And on your way to 50? Let's say that the quotas would take us a bit more time, but we will definitely, uh, you know, pushing them. So what's the long-term plan for Hippo? You said there's room to be a $5 billion player in the home insurance market in America. Is that kind of where you see yourselves in the long run? So the discussion that I'm having internally is, do we want to be in home? Do we want to move to other lines? I think that my focus now is to stay in home and to actually cater to more risk. My vision is, can we be the, you know, your home wellness company? Can we do other stuff in your home? Can we take care of risk in general? If you're locked out of the home, I want you to call us and we'll send a locksmith. If you want to do mm-hmm. uh, a project in your home, renovation or change or stuff like that, call us. We'll be happy to give you some options and stuff like that. Basically, anything around that stuff is, I think, I, I want to deepen my relationship with the homeowner and take care of your home. I want 1-800 numbers that everything that happened on your home, positive or negative, you'll call us. And we're going to help you out with. So you want to own the house, if you will. Uh, some portions, you know, some portions mm-hmm. to have, uh, you know, we work with several smart home companies. I'm not going to be the smart home company. I'm going to work with the best of breed smart home companies. Well, listen, we've 
eaten up a bunch of your time. And we want to thank you so much for being with us today. We understand that these are crazy times that we're in. And so we appreciate you making the time to, to spend some time with us. I'm sure you're a busy guy, not just with the insurance company, but with a couple of kids running around making you crazy too. So thanks for taking the time and being with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, thank you guys for having me. This was, uh, you know, the fun part of the day. So thank you so much for breaking my regular day into something which is more of a fun discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. We've wanted to have us off on for uh, some time and it was great to have him on. I think he didn't disappoint. I think Asaf was one of the first guests that we thought about whenever we started this mm-hmm. whole podcast. Mm-hmm. He, uh, We always hear him at conferences. He's always up there. And I would say uh, we've been looking forward to speaking with him for a long, long time. Yeah. You know, one of the things we didn't talk about was that he got his MBA from University of Chicago, which is obviously, you know, one of the finest institutions in the country. And yeah. obviously he got into University of Chicago because he's really smart. Yeah, really smart. I, uh, I've i actually looked at the MBA program there at the University of Chicago, and it's just rated so high. Uh, but I mean, the guy, the guy went through law school uh, mm-hmm. after, after being in the military for five years uh, and really did a, a wonderful job there, uh, really moved up through the ranks. I mean, the, just in a personal life, he has, he has a great personal story, even outside of Hippo. He's a very interesting person. Right. A serial entrepreneur who I think that any insurance person listening to our podcast today, and I know that there's a lot of you out there that are insurance people and a lot of you out there that are technology people, but Mm -hmm. for those insurance people, he sounded like an insurance guy. He sounded like a lifetime insurance person, his grasp of the data, of the topics, of the points of the value chain were all very, very good. And like we were talking offline, uh, I mean, he's raised a substantial amount of money, which means we're not the only ones who thinks he's really smart and knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. All these other investors out there agree with us. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'm excited as a entrepreneur, he's probably got something else out there that'll come in, in many years or whenever he uh, finds the, the willingness and the time uh, to do it. And I'm always excited to see uh, what entrepreneurs come up with next. Well, and we have to thank Hippo, who's been so generous with us. They've now given us the opportunity to have four of their people on our podcast. But the reason is, is they understand that communication is a key point of this whole idea, right? Yeah. I mean, his, his, his example of the luggage, right? When we were talking about claims towards the end. What a great example. Great example. But it's something that we talk about inside of our own company. Communicate, communicate, communicate. When do you run into problems? Whenever you don't communicate. When you, when people don't know what's going on or what to expect. And I was talking to him offline after the interview and, and I said, you know, there's something about communication. Um, if if an insurance company you're not used to um, communicating with you all of a sudden communicates with you, you might think, oh, I pay them a lot of money. Now they're out there. But if you do it right, if you do it sincerely, uh, people appreciate it. And especially as he was talking about in claims, uh, he is setting that foundation that we are going to communicate with you a lot. Uh, we're going to answer questions before you even know you should ask them. That's a great concept. And it, it's a win-win solution. But also knowing not just any communication, like we, like we've had companies on that do bots. We do, yes. That provide bots for the claim process, and 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 they're great companies, and and it's a great idea whose time has come. But he also mm-hmm. understands that maybe it's not the time for a bot, right? Maybe it's the time for compassion, for real human interaction. Yeah. So I thought that was insightful. What about when he told the story of the mom coming in with two children and the windows broken? All of a sudden you put this human aspect in and you start thinking we're humans. And in fact, Rob, I I told you earlier, I'd put a video on LinkedIn and it said people you work with are adults. 
And that's people that are buying insurance are adults. We need to treat them like adults with human emotions. They're not out there just to always go to a bot, even though a bot is a great use at times, but they have emotions and they, you know, you, you've got to meet them where they're at. That's what you've got to do. And, and, and he understands that. Right. We, we can't thank Asaf enough for uh, giving us some time today from the hippocampus in Agreed. Palo Alto, California. And uh, we'll sign off by saying thank you to everybody who listens. And we hope that you're being safe and that this finds you well and that you'll join us next time for another episode of FNO Insure Tech. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.